Welcome to the Curious Women Podcast. I'm your host, Kylie Fignano, and I'm here with my co-host, Meg Hager. Here, we're going to have chats about women's health to teach you the things that you didn't know you didn't know. Dr. Ferris is a rock-solid, no-bullshit, PCOS, OBGYN queen who really helps us understand all the things we didn't know we didn't know about hormonal birth control. She is totally in your corner and will fight like hell for you, her patients. And Kylie and I could not have been more thrilled to spend an hour with her. I'm just blown away by that episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> I I really, it was a little embarrassing. I mean, I guess it should be. But I <laughs> Totally not embarrassing. So little. I just have never been, for me, the birth control stuff was never a conversation that I really needed a lot of mm-hmm. information around but mm-hmm. I learned such a tremendous amount in this episode I think I even said like sometimes when we're asking questions we know the answers but yeah, we're asking yeah. to prompt them and a lot of my questions I genuinely was like but but but, but what about this <laughs> yeah yeah no and definitely. she was great you know she oh, was she was I'm such a big I, fan if I had to if I had to she's the person I would want to have a conversation with. Definitely. I, just I was... think that she would give tons of information, give, be really clear, and then ultimately mm-hmm. just help you make a choice and move oh forward. Oh my God. I'm so looking forward to her opening her virtual practice because I'm sitting here going, you know, I don't love my OBGYN here. I know I need someone in person, but like I would totally see her virtually. I'll totally. I, Listen, we'll have my, we'll do my pap smears annually when I fly to New York to see my family. That's good. <laughs> there we go. Meg, we've got it down for you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's oh my perfect. God. Well, we hope that you guys find this conversation as enlightening and informative about a decision that a lot of women are are making kind of in the dark. And so we'll be talking about birth control with her. I hope you really enjoy it. Yep. Here's Dr. Ferris. What, what are you drinking? What, I'm drinking water? water in a, yeah. Uh, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations lately about how we try to, we make a lot of fun drinks for our show, but also it just always comes down to water. So it's always yeah, acceptable. Usually, like, oh, <laughs> Especially yeah, when we're totally. talking uh oh wait meg come back come yes what there I'm you here. are oh you can weren't... you see me yes now i can i popped in and then i popped out <laughs> okay. it's dramatic surprise <laughs> um meg did you get anything fun over there in between i i did so dr ferris we had someone that we interviewed right before you so i had a different drink for that mm-hmm. recording it was very boring because i forgot what time we were recording and I was late to our own show. So anyway, <laughs> here we are now. I have my normal ginseng tea nice. back, back. We're, uh, we're doing my, uh, my adrenal support here. Cause as our listeners know, I am a high energy, like crack level ADHD lady. So her husband says <laughs> that he can't turn her off without drugs. <laughs> I, we know- have a- I envy, I envy you a little bit. I wish I was a little really? bit more. I'm like I'm very much on like, I've, I've uh, definitely on a look like. Down I envy you. I would. <laughs> I mean, I just I need an off switch, man. Like we have a drug drawer over here now. My husband's got the CBD in there. He's got some some weed edible stuff, and it's just like I can't. I don't know. Melatonin's also in there, and <laughs> we call it our drug drawer. <laughs> I call it Meg's drawer. <laughs> <laughs> 
another listen we we are past the full moon now everybody so i think we're okay the energy is coming down a little bit more (laughs) much safer territory much safer territory (laughs) what are you drinking kylie i've got olipop you know i have olipop yes I love it. No. This tropical flavor is Brian's absolute favorite. It tastes is that edible. new? It is. I saw yes. your story. You, knew, you newly discovered it, right? This is not the new newest one. The one that you're talking about is the cream soda one, which I can only find in New right. York. It's a, they don't, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Oh. And in very random Dr. places too. Yeah, very like there's like random. A, yeah, there's like a random fruit and vegetable stand that I see it at. <laughs> Like, that's just about it. Brian literally said today, he said, I'm going to send them an email and say, why? Why not? What's wrong with DC? Why are not? Why can't? Send it to me. Why can't I purchase it? I was like, well, I want to say that they're probably going to have a solid answer for you. But if you're genuinely curious, go ahead. Send that email. Why not? Why not? (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. I'm for this email to Alipop. They need to know where their dedicated buyers are. Yeah. They need to know. Even if it's just this one house. In, in Washington, D.C. It's fine. We'll carry it. We'll carry that's, you guys. That's enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys, you guys, just the two of you alone will support their entire their, their market, yeah. In D.C. <laughs> it's my most expensive habit. <laughs> that's not a bad one. No. That's not a bad it's one. It's not no, at all. No. And that's no. not even like that much. It's not, it's not a reflection of the price of Olipop. It's a reflection of how much we purchase it. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> listeners. Anyway, oh my gosh. All right, today we have a treat. It is, yes, we bring a lot of dietitians on because, you know, those are our people. We love them. And yeah, we nailed it again this time. But not only a dietitian, although I think a previous dietitian. Yeah, I don't, I do not, I do no longer have my credentials. Okay, why don't you take over, actually? This is perfect segue. Go ahead. Oh, Lord. Uh, hi, Tell everybody. Tell us who you are and yeah, what sure. you do. Yeah, sure. My name, my name is Dr. Basma Ferris, and I am a former registered dietitian and current practicing OBGYN and culinary medicine specialist. And I, I am no longer, a re- people are like, yeah, she's a registered dietitian. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no sorry. Um, when I was an intern, I didn't have time. It was like time for my re-credentialing and I was an intern and I just didn't have time to do it. Um, yeah. And so that went by the wayside, sadly, because obviously I worked very hard um, towards oh, it. Definitely. When you're an intern, you know, there's only so much time. Totally. Uh, there's only so much time in a day. So um, no, the so knowledge is still there. there. The knowledge is still it's there. Still there. Exactly. Yep. It's still there. So <laughs> I want to know first, how did you, what was the story for you going from a dietitian to an OBGYN? Because it's a specific one, right? That's not a leap that you hear a lot of people making. So what was no, it for you? No, it's not. And it wasn't, in, it wasn't what I intended either. So um, I didn't intend to become a dietitian to then become a physician, number one. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I just became a dietitian and then for various different reasons, which we could probably spend a whole episode (laughs) on, um, I decided to go to medical school. And my intention was to either become a gastroenterologist or... Uh an endocrinologist, right? Because that's Very kind of cool. like th- that makes sense, yes. right? Yeah, nutrition to either GI totally. or, or endocrine, mm-hmm. and that was my intent. And then, you know, when I got when I actually got to it, um, 
couple of things happened. A, I found I liked being in the operating room. Oh, I didn't wow. love, hated, I hated my surgery rotation, but that was more people um, oh. related than it <laughs> oh, was. Oh, they didn't, um, they didn't pass was. the vibe check. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were not my people. They were, they were definitely not my people. But I would hide in the OR, like I would spend the whole day in the OR uh, and Mm. and I really enjoyed it. And then I had medicine second. So when you are um, like in your first and second years, medical school, you try to plan your schedule so that you put the thing that you don't think you're going to like first or last, right? Because you don't want to like, you want to make a good impression. So if you don't really like, I wasn't interested in surgery. So I put that first so I could just sort of like get all my fuck ups out of the way (laughs) in the beginning. And then I had medicine second. And that's like, you put medicine, like the thing that you do second usually is the thing that you want to do. Because now you're still interested, you're not burnt out, but you already had one rotation under your belt. And so you want to really shine. And so I did medicine Mm. next. And I was like, oh no, this is, yo, this is not for me. I was really surprised and taken aback um, for a couple of different reasons. I thought, you know, that they were really going to appreciate my background and my knowledge. I would think the same. And they didn't, I guess. At least not where I went went to school. And that was kind of disappointing. Totally. Um, But this was a while ago and things certainly have changed. I think if I were doing things like now, it would be a very different story. But probably Mm -hmm. if I was a dietitian now, I probably would maybe be happier being a dietitian than I was back then. Because I think the Uh, landscape has changed a lot. Um, Totally. And then then I did OB and I was like, oh, this is like just right. It was like the parts of surgery that I liked and the parts of medicine that I liked and um, the type of people I like to treat, um, women. And, you know, and I really felt, and I would spend a ton of time in in the OB clinic and the high-risk clinic talking to the gestational diabetics. Mm. And, you know, I love delivering the babies. And I was like, damn, why is this what I like? Because being an OBGYN is not easy. It's not known as being a lifestyle specialty at all. So I was like, I was kind of mad. I was like, shit, why is this what I like? But it was like, (laughs) but it it was, you know, I really, that was what I was drawn to. Like I loved, I was excited to get up in the morning and go to the hospital early, early. And I'm not a morning person. And so the fact that I was like, (laughs) yes, I'm getting up and going to the hospital. And I was really excited about it. And I was like, oh gosh, I guess that's definitely what I have to do. But I was really, I was like, why don't I like, you know, something else like neurology, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so specialties kind of find you in that way. Um, and Mm. I do love it. I do love what I do. And, um, but yeah, it's not the most sort of, you're not like, oh yeah, nutrition will be doing, although it, sh- it, it should stand by, it should be more yes. of like a linear, yes. totally. like dump, right? Yeah. But it's not sadly. And uh, mm-hmm. for many different reasons, which I could also go into, but, um, <laughs> and we might, like, we it might. Really sh- like it really, really should be, um, totally. and I have a lot yeah. of sort of like you know, beef with, with sort of like the, the, the powers that be in, in, you know, in the OBGYN world about like why nutrition is not a bigger part of what we do and what we learn. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, right now Mm -hmm. I I think I'm a one woman crusade, but, um, (laughs) you've got at least two two behind you. Two more. (laughs) So I'm hopefully, you know, I've given grand rounds a couple of times about it and, 
you know, and we'll awesome. talk about what my, you know, what some of my next um, steps are, you know, a little yes. bit later on. I can't so, wait to hear about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, Ugh. that's the, I, I love that that. sounded long-winded, but that was the short, that was the yeah. short version. No, I enjoyed every second of it. I'm just so glad that we found you. Um, shout out to my former client. You know who you are if you're listening. I love you. And thank you very much for putting um, oh, Dr. Awesome. Ferris on our radar. <laughs> But um, so we wanted to pick your brain today to have a very um, like factual and or straightforward conversation about hormonal birth control. And I think a lot of I mean, it's it's I think we had talked about this before we started recording that we really want to take kind of the Kylie, you said it really perfect. We want to try to take the emotions and maybe some of the political welfare out of the conversation because we know how sensitive that is and everybody, I mean, I just think it's important to point that out. Like we know that these things are influenced by that, but we really just want our listeners to be well-informed because I think there's a lot of confusion about um, potential side effects maybe of hormonal birth control or whether it should be the first option or not. And of course, that's, I think, we're all on the same page when we come down to it. Like it is an individual choice, but the point is we want our listeners to be well-informed to be able to make that choice. So I'm really excited to ask you some questions. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Um, it's a very, um, it's new, you know, it's definitely nuanced, right? There's so many different options out there. But mm-hmm. sadly, we don't have great tools beyond our experience to guide choices. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know that everybody is always educated or counseled into this is what to expect. This is normal. Right. This isn't normal. And if you don't like it, we should try something else. Because wow. it is a little yeah. bit of a right? I can be like, ah, I think based on your characteristics and my experience, this one may be a good choice for you, but sometimes I'm wrong. Mm. And so then we come back and we adjust, right? And mm-hmm. so um, it's always good to have that like pros, cons discussion. Um, and not everybody does that. Yeah. And I, I am, would really love to hear what that looks like. So maybe that's a good place to start. Is okay. it, do you, can you take us through yeah, what that conversation sure. could look like? Can I ask a backup question, a backtrack yeah, question first real quick? And I, some of my questions I think might be, first of all, genuine personal questions because okay. I actually don't have Mine too. any, <laughs> I don't have any experience with birth control at all. So for those of us who might be listening who don't, I mean, I think a lot of women hear birth control and generally speaking, we quote, know what that means. But Mm -hmm. I don't actually have a clue. What are the hormones? We're talking about hormonal birth control. So can you say, like, tell us what the hell does that mean? What is it? Yeah, what are the question. hormones and what is the point that it's trying to do? And some of this, you guys, you might find helpful clues in listening to Jillian. I think it's episode seven on the menstrual cycle. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. some of those terms are going to come up. So you might want to reference that at some point. But go ahead and share with us, like, sure. when somebody starts birth control, what are they actually doing? Yep, Totally. So I think when most people think about birth control, they think about combined oral contraception. That's the most sort of widespread used. And that's what, you know, what we call quote unquote, the pill, right? And so the pill or combined 
oral contraception is a combination of estradiol or ethanyl estradiol. So that's a, we as women make estradiol. It's one of the estrogens our ovaries make. And then um, it's a synthetic form that has this other, um, the, the ethanyl group added to it. And that actually makes it a bit more, um, it actually increases the potency. So all combined hormonal birth control have ethanyl estradiol. That's the only estrogen that's used, at least in the United States. Okay. And then it is combined with a progestin. Progestins are synthetic progesterone-like hormones. And the different pills differ in the type of progestin. There's many, many different progestins and the dose. So every combined hormonal contraceptive is going to have estradiol or ethanol estradiol and a progestin. Mm. And so um, they have been, these different progestins have been formulated to try to address different side effects that people may have. Okay. From so, not having actual progesterone being produced, right? Correct. Is what you're saying? Okay. So mm-hmm. when somebody is on a combined hormonal contraceptive, they are given both the, it's, it's the combination of those two classes of hormones and it is doing several different things. Most formulations will suppress ovulation, but not all. Okay, because they're interfering with the pituitary cycling, right? Normally in the first half of our menstrual cycle, there's more estrogen. And then after ovulation, there's more progesterone. So this is in most cases in what we consider like in a monophasic pill, it's going to be the same dose every day for, you know, approximately three weeks. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is going to do a few things. It's going to suppress ovulation Mm -hmm. and it's going to... Um, thicken the cervical mucus. So cervical mucus is that barrier in the cervix that um, changes during a normal menstrual cycle. It changes and during the middle of the cycle in your fertile time, it becomes thinner. And I always like mm-hmm. to call it the sperm superhighway. And, <laughs> um, and so <laughs> any progestin, progestin-based contraceptives are going to thicken the cervical mucus and that's going to act as a physical barrier. So the ethanol estradiol is suppressing the ovulation if it's in high enough doses and then the progestin in it is thickening the cervical mucus and somewhat thinning the lining of the endometrium. So the endometrium is the sort of plush carpet that lines the endometrial cavity. (laughs) And when it's plush, an embryo can implant. And when it's thin, it's not going to implant. So those are the different Mm -hmm. things that combined hormonal contraceptive is trying to accomplish. And that, and in those three sort of activities make it very effective to prevent pregnancy. Wow. So they're Okay. Can I do a recap? Half for me, half for listeners. Okay. So every type of hormonal birth control has the same two components. They all have this version of estrogen that prevents ovulation. And then they all have varying levels and types of um, 
progesterone-like components that Mm -hmm. thickens the mucus and thins the wall. Yeah, the endometrial lining. Correct. Wow. So that goes for combined oral contraceptives, the patch, and the rings. So there's NuvaRing, which is the monthly ring, vaginal ring. And now there's a new one that's called Anovera, and that is actually a yearly ring that you can, it's good for 13 menstrual cycles, and you can take it out if you want to have a period or not, because the period's a fake period anyway. Like the period Mm -hmm. that you have on oral contraceptives or any of these combined hormonal contraceptives Mm -hmm. is not a real menstrual period. What do you mean by that? I think we need to pause by that, because a lot of people, I know this because I have like a 15-year history of being on hormonal birth control, but I talk to a lot of clients who have no idea that this is the case. My mind is blown right now. (laughs) How do you have not a real menstrual cycle? Uh, What is the, yeah, tell me. I am such a student right now. Most of the time I'm asking these questions and I already know the answers. I have no idea what you're going to say. She's on the edge of her seat right now, Dr. Fair. I literally, the bench has ended. I'm on the edge. So this is really important because people freak out. They're like, I'm not getting a period, but it's not a real period anyway. So it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. Um, if you're on a combined hormonal contraceptive and don't get your period. Because a normal menstrual period will be you have the first half of the cycle, which is the um, the follicular phase, and the estrogen levels of, are higher, and they are fluffing up that endometrial lining, the, the fluffy plush carpet. And then mm-hmm. after ovulation, progesterone, progesterone acts on the endometrial lining, gives it blood supply and nutrients and some mm-hmm. mucus glands, and that sort of is getting it ready for the pregnancy. And then when a pregnancy is not present, the levels of both progesterone and estrogen fall. And it's really the falling of the progesterone that allows the lining to come out and you have Mm. a menstrual period. So what is being simulated with the combined hormonal contraceptives is that you have estrogen and you have a progestin. And then in that last week, that placebo week of pills, there is none, right? There's no estrogen and there's no progestin. And so whatever is in the, endo- in, in the endometrial cavity comes out. But the longer you're on it, there's less and less material that builds up. Mm. And so it's, it's like, it's what we call a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real true menstrual cycle because you're not likely ovulating anyway. And so if you bleed or if you don't bleed, it really does not matter. I see. Okay. It's not building up. People think, well, where is it going? It's building up in my body. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not backing up somewhere. It's just not there. So the reason Mm. it's not a quote real menstrual cycle is because the whole first three weeks or rather last three weeks of it didn't actually happen yeah. for the ovulations didn't happen I exactly okay. so it's not a real menstrual cycle anyway and so that last week of like i'm picturing a birth control packet right that's the placebo pills stimulates mm-hmm. that drop in both estrogen and progesterone that naturally normally happens that yes okay. correct okay Okay. But it doesn't need, okay. if you're on the contraceptive, you don't, it, so some people decide to skip the placebo pills or just kind of have a quarterly, you know, a quarterly bleed or, or whatever. And that's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Hmm. 
Oh my god, that is so fascinating. I like, like I, I, I still no think cards. it's fascinating. I know. So and then so, yes, yes, go ahead. Well, then, then so that's just that's combined hormonal contraceptives. Then we have a lot of right. progestin-only contraceptives. Oh god. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I no, wondered I why you, you kept that. saying combined. I was like, is that yeah. what it's like officially? So some called? people, yeah, some people can take estrogen for various different reasons. They have medical conditions that make taking the estrogen not safe. Um, either they have hypertension, they have a blood clotting disorder, um, they're lactating. Um, so there's various different reasons why taking an, an estrogen-containing contraceptive is not appropriate. And for these people, a progestin-only contraceptive may be appropriate. And there's many, many different options for that. So there's the, um, you know, if we go from like shortest acting to longest acting, the shortest acting is actually emergency contraceptive, right? AKA plan B. Um, And yeah, plan B is just basically a high dose progestin that's taken within, you know, 72 hours of um, unprotected sex. And the goal of that is to delay ovulation. Um, And that, um, you know, that is an option that's out there for people if they're, if they're sort of primary contraceptive fails, whether that be condoms or withdrawal method or oops, I forgot method or, you know, whatever, or just kidding. I'm not ready method. Right. So there's many different reasons why that may happen. And then you have the progestin only pills of which there's two. Um, one is called the mini pill. It's, um, it's a progestin called norethindrone and it's one that's commonly prescribed for people who are lactating because it's okay to take while lactating. And, um, the, one of the cons is that it has a short half-life, so it really needs to be taken at the same time every day, and the dose cannot be missed, whereas the combined ones, there's oh. a little bit more wiggle room. Um, with the with the mini pill, it has a really short half-life, so there really is not a lot of wiggle room, so it really has to be somebody who's going to like be uh, you know, religious about it. Mm. And then there's a newer pill that just came out, which has drosperinone, which... Uh, Meg, you may have a lot of clients on because um, it's the same progestin that is in Yaz. And Yaz Mm. is a pill Mm -hmm. that has um, a little bit of activity that overlaps with spironolactone, which is an Mm -hmm. acne medication, right? And so Mm -hmm. some people will prefer to use um, either Yaz or the progestin-only version, which is just the drosperinone. The trade name is called Slind, I think. And um, I don't know who comes up with all these. Oh my god! <laughs> like anyway, I but no cards. Oh god. <laughs> so um, so yeah. So there's that, and that one has a little bit longer half life than the other than the than the uh, the original progestin only pill. And then you have Depo, which is probably my least favorite of all. It's I I, I say that that's the con. It's a it's a it's a injectable contraception mm. that's a proje- only a progestin that's good for three months. I think I have in my, in my last practice that I just, um, that I just left, I think I had one patient on it 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, I think it's, I, I call it, that's the option for people who just can't get their shit together, right? They're like, I can't, I'm right. you know, they're all those people that are like, I can't swallow pills and I can't remember. And literally they come and they get an injection, but there's a lot of side effects with it. Waking, acne, irregular bleeding, prolonged use can result in decrease in bone density. So it's really my least favorite and least recommended contraception of all time. And then you have the um, Nexplan, which is a subdermal implant that goes in the arm. That's a progestin. That's a uh, three-year contraceptive. And then you have all the progestin containing intrauterine devices. Oh so, my gosh. So many different options out there and um, they all like, they all have pros and cons, right? And so you really right. need to kind of tailor um, what works for one person. You know, the other person might, might totally hate. And oftentimes mm-hmm. people just come and they say, yeah, I want to try this because my friend loves it and, mm-hmm. you know, or likes it or tolerates it or whatever. And then, you know, oftentimes it's like, oh God, that's like, you know, but everybody's different. So for every person like, yeah, I want to try that because my friend loved it. And they come back and they're like, nope, not for me. Cause everybody's different. Yeah. I was there. I've been on probably all of them, all of the Right. And versions, some people are like, but... yeah, I tolerated the ball and none of them bother me. Right. They're those like magical people that just, they're like, nah, I didn't notice anything. Do you not so, really? Yeah. So I, I have a question for you, Dr. Ferris, and yeah. it's it's purely from my personal experience. So I'm hoping that you can shed some light on it, too, because I know that there are so many people out there like who have had similar experiences mm-hmm. as me. And I just felt like, honestly, my experience with hormonal birth control for that long, I was on it for 15 years. Yeah. And I I kept going to my doctors and saying, like, I just don't feel good on Mm -hmm. this like I just and 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 they did like we did some of the experimenting that you had mentioned I was on Yaz and then went to Yasmin and went did like you know I did the whole thing and I eventually found a pill that wasn't as bad it didn't feel as bad for me which is good so it was doable but like I started thinking about why I mean do you in your practice do you also see clients who come to you who are just kind of like I just don't feel good on this yes. pill and yes. so my question for you is what do you do for those patients what do you say to them and is there can you explain to us some of the reasons why yeah. you may not feel yeah so that's an excellent question um yeah some people start it in their teen years and they're just on it for 10 15 years and they're happy with it and they don't feel any different <laughs> right there's some people that try things and they're just like I just don't feel right I just don't feel like myself and yeah there's a lot of reasons for that um, some what I see often certain progestins tend to be really more negative when it comes to mood mm. okay so people who have worsening of their depression or anxiety on certain progestins. So um, some people note different physical changes, right? Changes in their weight, changes in their breasts, breast tenderness. Some people have breakthrough bleeding. Some people, many people have a decrease in their sex drive. Decreased libido, big one. Because being on oral contraceptive increases circulating levels of sex hormone binding globulin, which might be good for some people, but that can then decrease free levels of estrogen and testosterone. And so people complain about having decreased sex drive, vaginal dryness, almost to the point of 
um, being like perimenopausal or menopausal. So sometimes I've, you know, I'm like, we can either try something different. We can either increase the estrogen in your pill or take you off the pill completely or add vaginal estrogen. So there's different ways of addressing all these different side effects. But what it comes down to is really taking, a, getting an assessment of like, what are you trying to accomplish with your contraceptive, right? Are you on contraceptive solely for pregnancy prevention? If so, let's have a whole conversation about the full spectrum of your options, right? Maybe the pill is not for you anymore. Maybe we need to try something else. Maybe you go off it completely and see what your body does. And maybe you realize I, I feel the same and that we actually are barking up the wrong tree, right? Mm. Maybe an IUD is suitable. Maybe like, so let's have a conversation about what are your goals with this pill. Some people told me, no, I went on it because I had really painful periods. Well, then that may be a reason to stay on it because it can be really effective for that. Maybe you have really heavy bleeding, right? And so that's a, like an appropriate reason to use it. So I think first, so those, so what are the, what are the potential side effects, right? What do you think you're, what are you experiencing that may be attributable? Cause it may be, and it may not be, and we can't, we'll never know until we test right? Until we test it. And the really, only, you can't do a blood test to test for that, but you can actually mm -hmm. stop it and see what happens um, mm -hmm. or change it or adjust the dose. Um, sometimes the same pill may be available in like the same combination in a different dose. So mm -hmm. there's all of these different things that we can try to get you to hate your contraceptive. Some people love their contraceptive. I was like you, I had hellacious endometriosis yeah. really bad endometriosis wow. and I I hated being on the pill but when I understood mm. why I needed to be on it I hated it less mm. because I understood there was a gain right there was a gain mm. for me in terms of reducing the like preventing progression and improvement in my mm. symptoms so it made my sort of like emotional negative feelings towards it less so right mm -hmm. so there's always has to be but i and so and then i had to like you try a different until i found one that i didn't hate so much <laughs> yeah okay well, that makes so like yes yeah, yeah. so I, I get it i get it 100 percent. and so those are the conversations that i have right sometimes mm -hmm. okay maybe it's not for you maybe we can try something else what are we trying mm -hmm. to accomplish how long do you feel that you need to be contracepting? Like, what are your reproductive goals? All these things. I would have much preferred your answer versus the answers that I got over the years. <laughs> like the, the, but, no, the, well, you know what? The gaslighting, right? I mean, it is, I, I hate to use yeah. that term, right? Yeah. But what I want. But that's how I felt. That's how you yeah. felt, but you want to know why? Yeah. Right? Mm. We, as physicians, we're also gaslighted. Right, right. When we, yes. By 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 all the companies that um, it's not yeah. like we're lying and being like, oh no, no, the studies say that no, that's not that's not a side effect, and no, that's not. This is the information that we're given, right? Whoa. So, right. you know, when I when I first was practicing, I'd be like, no, progestin containing IUDs do not cause any of these side effects. And then patients come back and they're like. 100% this happened to me after I got this, you know, and it's like, mm. you can't tell somebody that they're not experiencing something that they're experiencing. But right. the information that we're given is also not always the best information. 
that like, perspective. So I can totally see that. I mm-hmm. appreciate knowing that. Yeah. Wow. Like, think yeah. about, you know, I, let's see, I train, I, you know, I, I was in college in the nineties. So that's when I was first learning nutrition and how things have changed. It's not yes. like, <laughs> right? it's not like how I was counseling my patients back then was be, mm-hmm. it was because of the information that was available at the time. Right. It's not like mm-hmm. I was trying to give people no, the wrong advice. information or relaying the information in a way that maybe was not so useful. Cause I think that's more, that's, that's a lot of it, right? How do we counsel? It's not like the yes. actual information. It's like, how do we actually talk to people? Um, totally. Oh, wait, that brings me to another, another side story, but, um, <laughs> I want to yeah, hear it. I want to hear it. <laughs> it's about the information that we right that we are, are, are given and what, and we're doing our best to try to get that across to people. So totally. And we've talked about this too, that there's just like a lack of time in a lot oh, of conventional practices. Yeah, so it's probably just not even feasible for many. Again, like we know it's not a malicious thing. It's just, it's the system and it sucks. <laughs> it's it is really the system and it sucks. sucks. And it's like, yeah. um, you know, my, I, I have a few, um, my partners who would always have all of their charts closed at the end of the day. And I was never that person because I was always talking too much, always talking too much, <laughs> always spending too much time talking to my patients. And at the end of the day, you know, then I have to go back and, and chart. And you know what? It's not the best habit, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'd rather like spend the time. Yeah. Being a real human that being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I ask you quickly, aside from, and you mentioned a couple of these, but aside from wanting to prevent pregnancy, what are some of the other reasons that people come to you wanting to be on birth control? Um, yeah. You know, especially in like teen years where I assume that's probably not, well, I don't know. I shouldn't assume. Tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> Um, in the teen years, especially, I would say people come from menstrual cycle regulation because it's not unusual for people for their first couple of years, first few years of their reproductive life to have irregular cycles. And that could be a nuisance if you're an active young person, you're in sports, like you just don't feel like getting your period randomly in the middle of the day, unprepared, right? Pain, um, like bad PMS, right? Some people really have terrible PMS and that can be disruptive. Um, menstrual migraines, heavy bleeding, painful bleeding, and acne is an indication. Um, and PCOS for, which is a whole nother like can of worms (laughs) to open and, and it has its place in PCOS, but it's not the only it's not the only thing that people with PCOS need, but it does have its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, gosh, what is the next question? I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Want. Yes. <laughs> I, I have so many. I have, I know I have so many questions, but what I, what I want to know is there, and I, I don't know, I think I've seen, maybe some studies, but I don't actually know if there are even studies now that I'm thinking about it. Just information floating around there somewhere about nutrient deficiency, or sorry, nutrient depletion and long-term hormonal birth control. So I would love to hear your perspective on, is this something we should be worried about or not, not, maybe it's not even 
maybe it's a minuscule amount, if anything, and maybe it's not even a concern, but I'm just curious about what your position on it is and what you, what you think. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not been well studied, right? So Mm -hmm. as so many things in the overlap of nutrition and women's health, right? Two Mm -hmm. underfunded areas of study, which makes sort of like what I want to do, you know, very difficult at times. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, just, I think there have been sort of, sort of anecdotal or not great studies, um, associating contraceptive use with B vitamin deficiencies. I can't exactly really think of what the mechanism would be for that. Um, and sort of the, some of the criticism of those studies is that, you know, they were looking at a younger population who maybe just weren't great healthy eaters. And right. so mm-hmm. they were just mm-hmm. deficient because they had other sort of co-founding habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, whether somebody's on contraceptives or not, they should be eating a good, healthy diet with lots of nutrient-dense foods and adequate, um, adequate, you know, essential fats, good, healthy fats, important for hormone production. And, and so, um, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure of like the, like the mechanistic ways in mm-hmm. which that would be true. I think the point that I heard too, though, is that like, again, you make a great point about that being an area of research that's underfunded and we just kind of don't really have an answer at the moment, but is there, are there things, I think you had started to allude to this too, that um, are there things people should be doing to support their bodies? I think, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of in general, (laughs) whether they're on hormonal birth control or not, but because this conversation is centered around hormonal birth control, is that are there nutritional things perhaps that people should be aware of that they should be doing to sure. support I would their say bodies? Always, right? Doing things that protects your liver. Great point. Right. So making sure that you're not eating a lot of um, refined carbohydrates that may contribute to fatty liver disease, right? Because all of these hormones are then conjugated in the liver and then excreted. And so making sure that your liver is healthy, getting, like I said, a set good, you know, healthy fats so that you have adequate hormone production, um, you know, not drinking too much alcohol, um, all the things that you're, you know, that you would want to be doing to protect your liver so that it does do what its job and excreting, you know, the excess that you don't need. Mm. And that's also our liver processes, everything, including hormonal birth control metabolites or when we have it. So that's would also be another reason for that. I'm assuming just correct. Make sure yeah. it's being used properly. Okay. Adequate fiber so that it can conjugate mm. the, the bile acids and, it, you know, so you can excrete the, the conjugated bile acids, et cetera. Mm. So Get rid of all the shit, I think is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So what, okay, I feel like I have a really good understanding of what the hormonal birth control and its various options are, what the point is, why somebody might come in to use it, and if it's not working, what some of the options might be. So if it's not working, I have a couple questions here. What might that look like? And what are some of those things or what we were talking about, the cons in general 
of birth control that maybe aren't always outwardly shared until somebody comes in and they're all freaked out because they're already experiencing something. What's some of that side of this conversation? Sure. Um, so changes in skin, depending on which um, progestin, some of them are more what we call androgenic. So that may cause some more, you know, untoward side effects, acne, facial hair, um, weight changes, minimal, but maybe in the form of um, water retention. Okay. Um, may, may be legit weight gain, not usually in, in large amounts, but, you know, enough to maybe bother somebody. Um, mm -hmm. The mood changes we already discussed, right? Changes in mood. Um, changes the first few months, almost always um, there's some irregular bleeding. So people need to know that from the get-go. Otherwise, they stop it and they come back and, like, it's a whole thing. Um, the the risk of, of blood clots. So whenever somebody starts on an estrogen-containing contraception, we have to counsel them that if they have swelling of one of their extremities that's sudden, they need to stop taking it and go to the emergency room. People shouldn't smoke if they're on contraceptives for that reason. Mm. Mm. Um, what else? We've talked about the change, the decrease in libido. Some people experience vaginal dryness with prolonged contraceptive use. Um, so those are, I mean, those are most of them. Cons changes in bowel function, mm. right? So if their progestin is like a higher dose, they could have some, right? Progestin slow everything down. So they may experience some, um, constipation. That's fascinating. So that also maybe could be where the, the fiber would come in too. Then would that also help mitigate some Absolutely. of that? Absolutely. Well, I'm always, I'm a fiber pusher. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Gotta love her. I think all of us are yeah. highly, obviously, <laughs> with the work that you do too. So that's good to know. Did you have other, there were more parts to your question, right? Well, Kelly? just to follow that up, I'm wondering what about people who Meg, you know, you might be one of these people who have been on uh, birth control for decades and now they're yeah. ready. Uh, they do want to have a baby. They have to come off of it. What yeah. does that whole experience or what can that look like? And what are some of the things that people maybe need to be mindful of or that you might say if they're feeling freaked out because their period might be all over the place? I'm pulling from some like friend stories right now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> So certainly when people go off, oftentimes they just cycle right away and they get pregnant right away, right? So some people go off prematurely thinking because they had a friend whose period didn't come back right away or it took a little bit of time. They go off prematurely and get pregnant before they want to. So I see that sometimes. So oh, don't go off wow. until you're ready to get pregnant. Start taking if you're not somebody that takes... Um, folic acid, make sure you're taking folic acid at least three months prior to stopping your contraceptives. Is that for pregnancy pre for pregnant, uh, prep? Or? That's for okay. pregnancy prep. Okay. Um, because if you're going off contraception because you're ready to have a baby, that's one of the things that we want you to do amongst other things. And then making sure that you're not on other medications that may be a, a contraindication. Um, some people may not get their menstrual cycle right away if they've been on oral contraceptive for a decade, 
Um, mm -hmm. If that lasts for longer than six months, that warrants an evaluation. Hmm. Sometimes that's something that is a, it just happens and it comes back, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but um, there's medications that we can try to just sort of flip the switch, right? And get your, it's the HPA axis just has been quieted for so long, it just needs to be turned back on. Is that what it is? Not, it's been kind of suppressed for so long. Suppressed. It doesn't remember, mm. so to speak, that it needs or has a job to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of So can I interrupt for a second uh -huh. and ask, like, what is this post-pill PCOS business and is it a thing? That, you know, that's a tricky one. I've, I've read a lot about it <laughs> and I haven't and I'm still, I, I don't know. Because yeah. I've read some things that, like, Support, yeah, maybe this is a thing. But then, mm -hmm. you know, when you take the histories of some people, maybe they actually already had PCOS. Right. Like if you really get a good mm -hmm. history, what was going on before you went on the pill that nobody actually ever asked you about? Like what was your reasoning for going? Did you go on the pill because you're, you know, because of acne or because of an irregular menstrual cycle? Because if that's the case, then, um, you know, maybe it was present all along. Um and so, or maybe there really is truly an effect because it gets disrupted and there's maybe, you know, like that's the, that's kind of like the signal that disrupts the cycle. So mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I can't answer that. It's a tricky one. It it's is a tricky both one. totally reasonable. I mean, it makes it's probably, sense I mean, it's that... probably a mix, right? It's probably, yeah. it's mm -hmm. probably a mix. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So what, what is the what are one of the medications or some of them that people can, if let's say they come off the pill, six months goes by, they still don't have a cycle. What does that process look like? So um, what, so if they don't get a cycle, that's called amenorrhea, right? So you want to know right. why, right? So mm -hmm. typically what I'll do is I'll check a thyroid level, right? Check a TSH and the full thyroid profile because Thyroid disorders are very common in reproductive age um, people. And then do it like do a PCOS workup, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a PCOS? And then if mm -hmm. not, um, we do what's called a like a progesterone uh, challenge. Okay. And basically what that does mm -hmm. is, is by using progesterone for 10 days, you're gonna do a couple of things. If Somebody takes progesterone for 10 days and after they stop it, they bleed. That means their ovaries are making enough estrogen to fluff up the lining so that there's actually something to come out. Okay. okay. So it's a test. Okay. It's number mm -hmm. one, it's a test, but there's something about the progesterone that um, may actually resensitize the, either the pituitary gland or the ovary to get things cycling again. Got you. Wow. So it's a test and potentially a treatment. So what I'll do will be wow. like, great, tell me if you bled, fabulous. And then in a month, let me know what happens again in a month. Because the first bleed is not oh. gonna be a real period. This, what? It's really, what's telling is the following month what happens. So mm. sometimes that's all it takes. Interesting. Wow. 
So is this um, a specific dosage I would imagine that they would need? This isn't something where you could like slap on a progesterone cream or something. No, for 10 days. no purple yam <laughs> cream for 10 days. You need, you need, yeah, you need either Provera or progesterone. I prefer progesterone, mm-hmm. um, but either, you know, either one is fine and um, mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. That's fascinating. Yeah. Is there anything <laughs> nutritionally that you would recommend for somebody who's having like coming off the pill amenorrhea? I would assess a couple of things because you want to kind of get a sense of people's like just composition. I see a lot of um, women who are on the lower end of the weight spectrum or lower end of the BMI spectrum or mm. lower end of the body fat percentage spectrum. And oftentimes it's because their body fat percentage is too low to support ovulation. And so it's counseling to try to increase that, which can be very challenging and people can be very resistant, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so slightly increasing body fat percent with, you know, in a healthy way. Um, mm-hmm. and seeing if that does the trick. So we're talking like added calories, but through extra healthy fats and all the good stuff that you said, fiber and all that stuff. That's Correct. your preferred method to do that. Cool. Yep. Fascinating. Anything else? And if not, I'm sure that's the, sounded like that was like the first nugget of golden. Yeah, that's sort of, the, <laughs> I mean, it kind of depends where people are in their sort of journey, right? Some people yes. are super impatient and they're like, I need, I want to be pregnant yesterday. Right. So then I just refer them to my friends, the reproductive endocrinologists. Some people are willing to take the time to just work on improved health, improved sleep, improved lifestyle, all the things. So it really depends on where people are in their journey. That's a really, really great point. Yeah. Everybody Mm -hmm. kind of arrives there slightly, slightly um, differently, I suppose. Yeah. Differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also just want to say too, shout out, and I'm just, I'm saying this because this is how I feel personally, but if there's anybody else listening who maybe wants to go off birth control or is thinking about it and you're, and it's not because you want to get pregnant, it's just because maybe you don't want to be on it or don't want to take a pill every day. That is me as well. And I feel like it sounds like these things would also be beneficial for them too. Maybe minus the folic acid, it sounds like, which is why I asked if that's what that was for. <laughs> oh, that's a really that that's a really good point. It's such an interesting and nuanced conversation because it's not about just wanting to get pregnant or avoiding pregnancy anymore, which is why this conversation is so important. It's so important. People just get birth control mm-hmm. left and right now, and it's not, it's fine. It's like it's like getting a multivitamin anymore. And I I I think that this kind of conversation and really understanding what you're doing and what it's doing to your body so that if you Mm -hmm. then are not having a positive experience, you have some sort of framework to kind of follow in order to ask the right types of questions. And I think Mm -hmm. from my friend's experiences and even Meg, for you, when you don't know what you don't know, which is the point of what we're doing here, you, Mm -hmm. you then don't have a lifeline 
to be able to ask the question or even know what question to ask. And that's where I think people really have an experience of being truly disserviced because you should have access to the stuff, but then when it doesn't give you the result that you're looking for, and there's a million options, you're really like, you go in circles for years as you both seem to have experienced. So (laughs) I'm hoping that you guys, I'm hoping this conversation is hitting for some of you and giving you a little bit of a roadmap to, to follow if you are in any of these positions now or later and, and share this Mm. episode with a friend that you know might be struggling. Because I think what you're telling us is that there's a ton of different options and there's a lot of different reasons why something may or may not be working. And if you have the patience and like the bandwidth, something (laughs) can be found or a different type of workup can be explored because there might be a problem, I think is what you're saying. There could be something going on. There could be. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if we exclude all the things, you know, sometimes we don't find things and that's probably the most frustrating, right? Uh, Because we don't know everything. And, 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 and so I get that that's super frustrating for people. But you're absolutely right. So you need to find somebody who you really can talk to and, and who is patient to be willing to come back and discuss these, you know, what your options are and what might be going on and what to expect and what's normal and what, you know, like what are you willing to tolerate, et cetera, what your goals are. These are all mm-hmm. the important conversations that need to be had beyond just like, I need something. Um, right. And also that if you, the other the flip side of that is if something works for somebody, even though it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean, right. Or let me say that in the reverse. If something doesn't work for you, it doesn't make you feel well, but it works for somebody else. Well, good for them. Right. Don't right. shame mm-hmm. them. Like I see a lot of that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair and that people should be, cause we're all different. Our biology is all different. And so, um, you know, like one is not, one is not better than the other. I have one final question for you. Um, is there, Are you sure? No, I already <laughs> thought of another, as I was saying that, but I'm going to try to stick to one. I thank you for seeing me and knowing already. From this I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I'm like, can I ask you one more question? And I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, I'm like five looking five. at the time. I'm like, how fast can I talk about the question? <laughs> Oh, oh, really fast. Did you get that? Is there is there anything um I want to say this in a way that's not going to be um is there any concern about not getting a true now that we've established true menstrual cycle versus just kind of bleeding? Is there anything concerning about not getting that for any X period of time? None that I can think of. Um, that actually decreases your risk of endometrial cancer. Um, so Mm. all forms of any, any, uh, hormonal contraceptive actually decreases your risk of endometrial cancer because there's less growth of the endometrial lining. Mm. Um, and then most, uh, most hormonal contraceptives actually also decrease your risk of ovarian cancer. Um, so I can't Mm. really think of any reason why, like any harm, that I know of and have ever come across of having a like, just sort of like thin, inactive endometrial lining. Hmm. I genuinely not that I know not of. sure what the answer yeah. was. Yeah. Okay, you're right. I yeah. did have another question. And this one will be the last one. 
Um, for the person who might be newly thinking about birth control, they're going into their doctor's office. Here I go. What is the top one, two, three sort of questions that you want them to come into that appointment armed with to ask Ooh, in question. order to get the right information to get at least the best starting point for themselves? So question number one is, what are my options? What are my contraceptive options? Right? Keep it open because then your doctor really should take you through just the same way I did, like A to Z from like, you know, fingers crossed to sterilization, right? The whole spectrum of contraception, right? And everything in between. That's the conversation that should be had. And if they can't have it with you, they should have some sort of resource to be like, here, read this and then come back with your Mm. questions. If you don't have the time, at least have some sort of resource. Okay, good. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second question should be, is there anything about me, the patient, right, that you think, like should steer me towards one versus the other. Because if you walk in there, right, and you want to know, like, how do you pick? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, asking so these questions as if I were to go in and get birth control. Mm-hmm. I would have no idea what the choices mm-hmm. were, why they were different, and what and how to ask somebody to explain yeah, what, this is a great, this is perfect. What is it about me that's making you suggest this particular one? I want to know, right? Correct. So is that yep. something that you want, that you recommend people say, okay, well, if X is your recommendation, can you explain to me why? Yeah. Is that a and fair it may question be to ask? A fair question. Maybe like, oh, well, based on your, you know, your medical history or based on this or based on that, I think this would be a good right? This is a better choice for you. Uh, or, or it may be like, you're one of those people that has no zero contraindications and it's really just a personal preference. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I really love what you said earlier. Sometimes I'm wrong and we have to change it. And I think that mm-hmm. should be a nice reminder to people that, you know, the person on the other side of this conversation is just the same as you. It's a, it's a person, it's just a human being. And yeah, you know, they and know the choices. We're a team so that, and, and we're, you know, so we're doing this together. I like, I'm a big, big fan of IUDs, big fan of IUDs. I put a lot of them in and, um, but they're not forever. Like some people just really have a terrible, terrible time with the insertion or some people just really don't, (laughs) don't tolerate it. Well, most people do amazing with it, but so many people come in with like, they hear the horror stories. And so there's a conversation around, you know, what, all of you know why it might be appropriate for somebody and, and not for somebody else. I couldn't else. even handle um, a colposcopy, so an inserting an ID would not. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so there's different, yeah. So you know that's the whole, right? That's that's all part of it, right? You yeah. may expect mm-hmm. this, but then if you expect, like, if you're still having this beyond a certain time frame, right? So like. Mm-hmm. You know, be like, oh, doctor, well, you said I may have this side effect. Is that going to be for the entire time I use this contraceptive? Or Mm. is this just for, like, getting started? Because that's an important question. Because to know what to expect in the first several months really is going to make or break your success with it. 
So if you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I might be nauseous for like when I, cause, oh, that's something. When anybody first starts taking oral contraceptive, the estrogen can make you nauseous. Mm. So, right. So that's kind of a hump to go, to get over, but it's, it shouldn't last. So it shouldn't last beyond several weeks or a couple of months. So if you know that up front, then you know that that's normal and you're not gonna, you'd be like, well, can you give me something for the nausea or what can I do for the nausea? Like, I want to be, I want to continue to use this if possible. How can we get over this hump? Right? That is terrific. If I have like irregular spotting, how long is that going to last? Is that normal? And like, I can, I can handle that and let's get over that hump. And then, you know, it's going to be great after that. So having somebody wow. help manage the expectations so they can kind of like help set you up for success so you're not freaking out about something and kind yeah. of ditch it before you really had an opportunity to see if it was successful. Which is what I did the first time I went on the pill. My oh. doctor didn't tell me yeah. that I was going to have all kinds of Same crazy thing. weird bleeding and I stopped it and then I bled more and she was like, well, why did you stop it? I'm like, well, you didn't tell me and nobody answered me when I called the office. So... I just stopped it. So that was my experience. And so that's why I try to sort of just, what's the expression? Cut it off at the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is exactly why I ask because I think a lot of people, you know, it's so commonly available for people now that it really is, there's not a lot of thought to it anymore um, from the experiences that people have shared with me. And I think just these simple questions to know, wait a minute, it might not just be black and white for me. What else might it look like? And having somebody explain that. Okay. Yeah. Those are terrific little gems yes. for people to go into an appointment. Or maybe it's not even new. Maybe you're experiencing some of these things that you were talking about and you want to know how to ask questions about it. Like that's very empowering mm-hmm. to understand how to gather more information, I think is such a barrier that we we face in medical stuff. So yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Faris. Yeah, I am so, so, so grateful that you spent time with us today. And so we want to know before we go, where can people find you and share with us? You have a new program. Yes. Well, uh, yes. So I, it's in, it's in the baby stages, but people can find me on Instagram. I just changed my handle. It's now Dr. Besma Faris. So it's easier to find. Um, and, um, I'm launch and I have a website, smafaris.com. And I also have a new venture that I am that's in its baby stages. It is called Polly Prep, P-O-L-L-Y-P-R-E-P. And the name comes from, it's, the idea is, is that it's a prep school for people with PCOS. And oh, I, I love that. It's oh my all God. about education because I have a habit of saying to my patients, if I didn't teach you something about your body today in your visit, then I haven't done my job. So mm. education goes so far. And as you can tell, I really like that's it's really where my heart lies. And yeah. So the program is going to be there're going to be some self-study modules and then there're going to be um some instructional portions. Uh I'm not going to give it all away, but um <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to basically it's going to be a niche uh medical practice, um all telemedicine to start with me for people with PCOS oh, to come so and cool. get educated 
and treated, but more education than anything else. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, so just sort of keep, there is, uh, Ollie prep is the handle. So if you want to go ahead and follow me on Instagram. So when it does come live, you will all be in the know and, um, yeah, so super, super excited about it. This is really where, um, I like to say that PCOS is where like the two halves of my brain come together, the gynecologist and the nutritionist in me. Yeah. Um, I can so, see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I really find that I have, um, just a point of view to offer to, um, to people with PCOS with the goal in mind of just like, just lifelong management, right? Mm -hmm. Lifelong, just health and wellness, not managing because really what happens now is people with PCOS go to see a bunch of different doctors to manage each of their symptoms and nobody is really driving the bus. The patient is obviously the person is, but they don't know all that they need to know, right? So this is the education um, on like how to really help yourself, you know, through through the lifespan and what to expect with PCOS. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and I am too. I'm I, yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's it's. So yeah, it's going to be like a prep school. Although I've never been to prep school, I am public. Public school educated through and through, so it's like prep school through like my imagination. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just um, it's going to be fun, and um, it's going. I hope it's really going to you know be helpful for a lot of people. I'm telling you, teaching people just like you did today, there's nothing more empowering or powerful for a person. Getting treated is one thing and it's important, but to teach somebody how to maintain that so that they don't have to depend on somebody else, new level. This is amazing. I'm so grateful that there are people like you existing in this space because it is as we talked about, under-researched, under-appreciated, under-talked about. That's why we have this podcast. That's why we do yeah. this. Yeah. 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 So all that will be in the show notes for our listeners. Go follow Dr. Farris. Go check out all the stuff that she has to offer. And I think we should have you back for a round two of PCOS because we did sure. a, a, like, a very general episode. But like, if you're willing, we definitely want to 100 percent. this was super back. fun <laughs> megan kylie you two are a blast you really are thank you we're so glad thank, thank you, you for being here you're so welcome thanks for having me stay tuned for round two awesome. <laughs> bye dr ferris thank you dr ferris bye bye Thank you so much for listening to Curious Women. If you love our show, you can support us by leaving us a five-star rating and review. And if you know someone else who would really love our show, please share it with them too.